Rob Pop. Anita Han- Hanjob. Fix your sight. Jamar. Alpha play chase. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Kadarius Tony? You can't handle the heat. See, it looks like we're finally at this point. You're right. <laughs> 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 I tried to time up the intro thing with, with the going live, and I did not. Uh, I did not succeed. I, I mean, that was pretty good. That wasn't terrible. <laughs> it could have been worse. Could that definitely, definitely could have been worse. Um, I think once I opened, I I used the David Bell clip or something like that instead of the open. I thought it'd be funny. <laughs> you should have. I mean, that's that clip is is fantastic. Um, how's it going anyway? It's good. I just published the last edition of Stealing Signals for the Year, part two of this week, because I am not doing it next week because of how Christmas Eve falls on Sunday, Christmas falls on Monday, and there's three games on Monday. I think uh, it was Levitan tweeted today, like we have one game on Thursday, two on Saturday, ten on Sunday, three on s- Monday on Christmas Day, and it was something like the NFL does not – give an F about you and your family or like, you know, like, <laughs> but there's no way I could have, uh, could have written signals on Monday, like with the games and with Christmas and I got two daughters and got to do the family stuff. So not doing it next week. Um, finished it up today for the, uh, the final edition, which is always fun. I cracked a beer. I'm going to, I'm going to have a couple of drinks here with you. Um, sounds, that uh, sounds good to me. Well, uh, I, I've got COVID, so I might uh, might stay away from the uh, the alcohol. <laughs> That's you're having less fun than me. Yeah. <laughs> that uh, that that might be true. That might be true. Anyway, as as anybody probably guessed, um, Sack is is in Hawaii. He's not able to make it with us. And then um, Gretchen Gretchen's helped me out uh, co-hosting uh, Sack Chasing today. Um, so just going to kick into these charts. Um. Sorry, still getting the hang of my, my zoom in function. There we go. And then um, obviously season's almost over and we, we've been sort of looking at the same uh, charts all season with sort of like, how, how do we use them now? How, how do we use them right now to, to draft right now? And, and ta- a, a more interesting way to look at all this data might be, um, what, what should, what should we be using about the data that we're looking at now? For drafting for 2024 drafts because they're they're only weeks away, and um, good to sort of like digest the, this data and, and and use it to um uh h- how should we think about next year? I love it. Yeah, I mean, I I have not given a ton of thought to next year and what ADP and all those things will be. I have given a lot of thought and written about for a lot of people over at Selling Signals, I've been reading the intros and things about some of the big trends from this year, the things that I think will influence the market next year. Um, so, that, yeah, there's a lot of things we can talk about in terms of, you know, preparing people for the early drafts and being ready to hammer those. And I think, too, the more you sort of zoom out, the more actual, like, closer to the mark you are. Like, the, the, the more sort of, like, zone in and specific – like the more likely I, I sometimes I find like it, it, it's it's not as helpful. Um, so, um, the the first one. So 
Uh, me and Zach have been um, talking about CJ Stroud all, all, all season. And, and just as he's gone from like sort of like unheralded rookie uh, fantasy wise into being um, one of the, almost honestly one of the key players of the uh, the fantasy season uh, with, with given how he's elevated the talent around them, the, the fantasy performance that that he's put in. But I, I guess one thing that sort of stands out to me is that. He's not a comp- he's not a, a, a just stone zero in the running game, um. But he's pretty close to it, so he, he it, it it almost makes me think of like should we just be thinking of Stroud as like a um potential potential young Peyton Manning or or like that as that his like absolute upside case. Um. Yeah, I mean, we're starting off hot, right? Peyton Manning as an upside case for a rookie is uh, is a lofty. Right, I, and I mean, I'm, he's a Hall of Famer, so I'm being high. But like, I'm I'm trying to like think of like somebody who is like yeah, he, pocket he doesn't passer. run. He doesn't run. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I think you're talking about a pocket passer. I mean, there's a lot of guys that you could compare him to in that regard. There's a little bit of mobility, like you said, but not going to be a lot. Not something to really bank on. I guess he's got 10 10 rushing yards a, a game and he's got three rushing touchdowns this season. So like that that's less than like Dak Prescott, like really like that's less than uh, Justin Herbert. Like tr- like he, he didn't run in the combine and and he was telling us he's not going to be a rusher and and he's sort of living up to that. Right. Um I guess my question cuz that obviously matters for his ceiling. He is good. As a, as a pocket passer, he's put up some huge numbers. There's a lot of reasons to like him. If for some reason, I mean, the real issue would be is if they get better, if they're good enough that they don't have to throw as much, that he doesn't have to have these 380-yard you know, passing performances. Um, where do you think he goes in terms of ADP, like QB ADP? Do you think he's, he's probably I like think QB he's- eight? Or something to be six. Yeah, I, I think he's in this sort of like Trevor Lawrence range yeah. next year, and and I almost wonder if like it if if like th- that equivalence is not actually quite correct because because he literally doesn't run he and, and maybe he he just is that much better than Lawrence as a passer that he sort of makes up for it, and um, but I I think for him to like truly smash you you are going to need like. Uh, 40 touchdown seasons. Right. Yeah, I, I do wonder if he gets – like, he he he's so fun. It's a tough place to start to be like, yeah, hey, fade the, the funnest rookie quarterback <laughs> in the last decade. But I do think um, he's going to be someone to be cautious with early in, in the offseason. I don't – he's not the kind of guy that once people, like, get through to their projections and stuff that he's going to get pushed up more because, like you said, he's not going to run well. Their their team total is not going to necessarily be high enough that, like, he's going to look like he's going to, you know, account for a ton of touchdowns. Once projection season rolls around, people are going to, I think, be making cases that he's overvalued if he's in that range like we were just talking right. about. And so I don't, I don't think he's the kind of guy that's a late riser or anything you want to get your early exposure to. He's somebody that I'll want exposure to because there's there's a real chance that he's the next great quarterback. And right. year two is just a step forward, and it's he's a top five QB in year two, right? He's just putting up elite numbers. He's in the MVP discussion right away. I mean, that's that's a possibility right. for this guy as well as he's played this year. So I'll want exposure to him, 
but I'll want to get it at the right prices and I won't be rushing to to chase it down, you know, if he's right if he's going too high. Yeah, I I, I agree hundred percent. It's just like a sort of classic price sensitivity when it comes to a pocket passer. Right. I mean, he's not like you. You've said he's. Uh, I'm trying to get like a good comp. You said that he has doesn't run at all. So he has 143 rush yards. There, there's like Tua, for example, has 55 rush yards. There are guys that right. run less. Matthew Stafford has 70. Like the fact that he has 150, it, like 10 a game is not is not nothing. But it's also right. not a lot, right? It's not a ton by any means. Um. There's not really a great comp. The only other guy who's played f- like 13, 14 games in his range is Brock Purdy. And I guess uh, Baker Mayfield's the other one. So those guys are like a little bit mobile. But um, Purdy, I mean, Purdy's a great <laughs> – Purdy's the same discussion, right? Way out here on the right of this chart. Yeah. But I don't think he'll go as high as Stroud. I, I don't think he'll climb up to the Trevor Lawrence range. I think he'll be like QB 10. Right. There's a talent cap on, on his ADP. Like yeah, there's I, enough people that are gonna say like, oh, he's a system guy, and like, I I don't really believe the efficiency, and I I think Brett Purdy is an interesting one in that like he's been so insanely efficient. Like I was looking at um the PFF numbers on um on on, on his efficiency, like ba- based on their model stuff, he's had nine touchdowns more than they would have expected. 900 yards more than they would have expected um, and, and 20 completions more. And and just like, I, I know I'm give, I'm throwing out numbers there without any scale. Like that's like here when, it, when even the best are, are, are like down here, he's like something like seven uh, points over expected a game. And, and like the normal range is somewhere between minus one and one, like just in, in, insane efficiency. And then, Obviously, I, I think that's an interesting one when you think about projections because, like, you will have to project uh, good efficiency for him because of who he plays for. But it's like h- how much uh, how much aggression do you price in, and is like is is he worth uh, is pretty worth drafting next year as like a uh, one of the best pocket passers like inside like in the eighth round is he is is he an acceptable pick? I think um, eighth round's interesting. I mean, in in best ball, probably. Um, so the the deal with pocket passers obviously is you need efficiency. You got to be able to right. get a lot of yards per attempt. Which this this chart is you know the efficiency. You got to be able to get to a high TD rate. The fact that he is where he is on this chart suggests you don't – I mean, but at the same time, the fact that he is where he is on this chart and isn't the overall QB1 or anything also is a reminder that, you know, this is a Kyle Shanahan offense that's going to be run heavy. So you need really efficient – like he's not going to throw as many passes either. You need this type of efficiency. But he's – what is he? He's third I'm looking up right now. It looks like third in QB points. Yeah, yeah, that, that sounds right. Which is, I mean – Maybe he does wind up going higher than CJ Stroud. I don't know. But I was going to say, yeah, like you for a pocket passer, you need the, the efficiency, and he obviously has a great case for it. He's going to have all these skill guys back. He's going to continue to have what I think is the best skill position group uh, that I can remember, really. Like I go back to the greatest show on right. earth, and I, I wrote about that this week, and I was like, I think I would take this group. 
even like era adjusted. The greatest show on turf was awesome. Marshall Falk was incredible, but Christian McCaffrey is the modern Marshall Falk. They had Isaac Bruce, they had Torrey Holt, they had Ozakim. They didn't really have a tight end. Ozakim was good, but he was like a, a wide receiver three. He wasn't like a you know a stud or anything. Isaac Bruce and Torrey Holt were great, but Debo and Ayuk are just as good. You have Kittle on top of that. Like I'm taking that group actually. They have Trent Williams at left tackle. I mean, I was that'll say you can't really make a complaint about yeah, any, any anybody on the offense. It's such an incredible offense. It's it's like a, a bunch of Hall of Famers, basically. Um, it's I don't think there's been a better offense than that that I can remember. Like I, it, it would have been before I watched football, basically. I mean, you could talk about like some of the great, the like the late '90s Vikings that had Chris Carter and Randy Moss. Anyway, I don't need to do all this, but the Purdy's gonna be efficient. Like his right. pass attempts are going to be efficient because the guys he's throwing to, and then he also <laughs> has the best play caller in the league in, in terms of setting right. up yards after the catch and everything. I mean, he's going to be efficient. So he's a high floor play. I don't know. You know, the ceiling is not separates in such a way that he dominates the quarterback scoring. And so that's part of the problem. You don't necessarily want to pay up for guys that can't separate. Right. If they're right. just like, He's QB three, but he's not close to QBs one and two. He's a lot closer to QB four, five, six, seven, eight, and all of them. If he's going to be a, a a top of the pack of quarterbacks that didn't separate, then you can arbitrage that, right? Like right. Sam Howell is you know going to be a late round pick again next year if he can do or or next year Sam Howell. I guess next year's Brock Purdy because Brock Purdy was a late round pick too. But if you can find a guy in the later rounds to score in that pack of, you know, QBs from QB4 to QB15 that that is always really close to each other, then maybe Purdy's not worth the price, but he's a, he's a high floor play, so I mean, I think you want some exposure in best ball and those things. It's just uh I, I I think he's worth sort of classifying as like one of the best pure pocket passer options, um, and and it's like with all of those, it's all it's it's literally all about price sensitivity. You never want to say, okay, scored lots of points, I pay high price, because then you know the next time you you you, you, you with the volatility of pocket passer, you're just getting slapped down. So yeah. it's like. Okay, can you find can you find the good price for uh, that strong production? I I, I feel like you, uh, you've talked me into uh, eight round being like a reasonable break point. I don't know if that's like the absolute like efficient price, but it it, it feels like something that is like reasonable. Like you, you're the, not gonna, go ahead. Yeah, no, I agree. One of the things that's going to happen is the the nature of best ball because all of the skill guys go early, and there are four of them. They're all going to go in the first five rounds. I mean, Kittle might go like round six. They're all going to go right. ahead. Of and then you're going to have a little bit of a, you know, one guy might have two and another guy might have two. And then and right. so the, his ADP is going to get pushed up over time by stacking. Oh, uh, right. Yeah, you're right. And then he's also a guy where you you, you literally, like, you, you can't take him unstacked. Like, yeah. you're killing yourself if you don't stack him. Um, and so you might get some push and pull in drafts where um, – Stroud's going to be the inverse. Who's going to go – Stroud's not going to – I mean, Nico – how high does Nico go? I guess Nico and Tank Dell could maybe both go in like round five. They might both go ahead of Stroud. I don't know. Like he's going to be the inverse where you could probably play yeah. him later as well. 
Like, you're not going to be able to play Purdy later. Yeah, and I feel like, too, um, the, the talent of, of that passing offense is Stroud. So, like, you're going to feel a lot better by taking somebody later. Like, let's say they have, like, some day two draft pick yes. or, like, something like that. You're going to feel much better about playing it that way. Yep. You could take Stroud without Nico or Dell and feel totally fine with that and, and backdoor it. For sure, right. You can't do that with Purdy. You're, I mean, what are you gonna? You gotta take Jawan. <laughs> right, Kyle. Kyle Juice Check in the 18th round. <laughs> Elijah Mitchell finally. Um, the other. So I, I, I one other, um, I one other sort of player here. Um, I thought we we're talking about was uh, Chua Tugavailoa, and. Um, he feels like somebody who just played literally. He knocked it down, right down the fairway, in terms of like exactly uh, in line with expectations. Like he's he didn't he shouldn't have like changed anybody's mind. I think he outperformed his draft slot because everybody thought or, or or the market thought he was for sure getting hurt. And um, but in terms of like his talent and and what he can do on the fields, I I feel like it was sort of like just a, a continuation. Um. But I, I guess the question is like now that he's put in like a, and maybe we're not maybe we're not qualified to ask or answer this question. Now that he's put put in the the fully uh, how these knock on wood, uh, through uh, fifteen games, like should we just draft them as if like the the concussion stuff and and, and the injury stuff was is, is that just like not a thing anymore? No, it's still a th- the concussion stuff's always going to be a thing for the rest of his career. It's still going to matter to me. I I was taking a lot of him. I think you said that really well. That he kind of just like knocked it down the fairway. He did what he was he should do. But I would say that early on, it looked like Tua might be the guy. I mean, the guy you needed. Like he had two. I just pulled up his game log. Two thirty plus point games in his first three games. Four hundred sixty six yards and three touchdowns in week one. Three hundred nine and four TDs in week three. Again, pocket passer, no rushing, even less rushing than the guys we just talked about. Right. He has not run. He's run for more than 10 yards in one game. He did it against Tennessee <laughs> in week 14. He had 15 yards. He's averaging whatever, three yards per game or something, you know, five yards per game. He had those two 30-point games. He's not gone over 30 again in this particular scoring. He has a 29-point game. So in some scoring, he might have uh, one other really strong game. But the rest of it has been a lot more average if you will right despite the fact that his number one receiver is going to go over 2,000 yards to be the first guy to ever do that he's going to put up the most ridiculous receiver season ever Jalen Waddle not doing particularly well very concentrated pass game so no one else I mean this has got to be one of the lowest teams in the league in terms of third best pass catcher and below cumulative scoring I mean there's not there's nothing right um but having said and, – and that's part of why two was not a, a huge difference maker either in terms of his scoring. But having said that, in a year where Tyreek Hill mostly stays healthy, obviously he misses his past week, but you're also <laughs> hitting on the, you know, the, the macro stuff. No one's figuring out Mike McDaniel's offense yet, right? Like that was one of the risks. Maybe there's, there's right. a, 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 a counterpunch that defenses are going to have. They haven't had it. McDaniel stayed a step ahead. They've been able to get Tyreek Hill into space – like it's easy, which it shouldn't be easy. And yet two was not scoring, right? Like, I mean, he's scoring well, but not amazing. And then the concussion right. stuff to your point is going to linger and, and still matters. I think two is one that 
for me, unless he's going a little bit cheaper than he was last year, I like be, because 2023 was a year where like he was potentially going to take a next step in this offense and really explode. And he, he didn't really explode because it was sort of an average year. I then need right. to like move him down a little bit in terms of the risks and everything. He's one, he's, he's a full year now away from and a, a full year where his number one receiver again is going to break records, but away from, you know, what you know, a lot of times we're betting into uncertainty. There's less uncertainty right. now. There's more of an idea of what he is. And then I, I want to play it. Cheap. He, 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 he's like getting his, his range of outcomes is getting shorter and shorter and it's right. trending towards the sort of Jared Duff. Like, and if sort he of has pure. concussion issues in addition and, and, you know, some of the other like bigger picture concerns, I want to get like more of a discount on that. Like I would right. rather take CJ Stroud and Brock Purdy over to a, Oh yeah. Drafting a team right now for next year. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And it, it is kind of crazy to think like, you're saying like somebody's putting putting in like a, an, an insane historic crazy wide receiver season, and it's like the truest truest points are, are still like uh, sort of average and in, in in line. I, I I do I am one thing I do wonder about that is because of some of these games that they that that Tyreek goes like uh, mental in like. It does feel like they've had a lot of uh, garbage time games as well, especially against like some of the weaker opponents where like they've gone up by a lot of points, and then it it was almost not playing in the fourth quarter. Fair. Um, I, I guess that that is just some like may, maybe maybe there is some like meat on the bone if, if they're in more competitive games. Yeah, and, and and for another pocket passer, there's always meat on the on the efficiency, but like his TD rate is above the average here on this chart, right? But right. like he could be in the Purdy range. He he legitimately could have a season where right. he's pushing like an eight percent Like I don't think it's impossible for him to do that. Obviously, you can't project that, but he's right. one of the guys that could feasibly do something like that. Um. So I agree yeah. with you. I think that's a fair point. There's there's definitely upside for him to be better than he's been this year, but he is close to the top of this chart in TD right, right. second in, in adjusted yards per attempt. Like I mean, he he has been efficient as well. Right. So he he's had great great efficiency, um, but and, and I guess I wonder if some of the efficiency efficiency is also sort of like pushing down the volume. Um, not in every game, but in some games. For sure. Um, for example, the Jets game, they had, um, I think it was Mike White. Uh, like they, they, They've actually, it feels like they've had a, a, a high amount of games like that this year where um, they uh, he, he hasn't had to do anything in the fourth quarter. But at, at, the, same, at the same time, uh, I, I guess that, that's something that's sort of hard to know. Um, but at, at the same time, you, you, you want to see more points. They still lead the NFL in points for yards. A lot of that comes from a game where they scored 70 and they got like way right. out ahead in points for, but they're still leading in, in those categories and total yards in points for. If your offense is number one in those two categories and you're QB 11, like, I, I mean, 
Right. There's room. There's meat on the bone. There's all that stuff is true. But like the fact that he has 55 rushing yards and no rushing TDs is a pro like it's a, a yeah, yeah, you're, you're, you're right. And, and then the other thing as well is like, that's sort of how like it goes for pocket pastors too, that when you play well, you, you, you get to take some time off because you played that well and your team is ahead. So it, it, it's probably, it's probably, it's not that strong of a, of, of a like of a point about Tua. Another thing about him as well is, I'm just thinking through this offense and thinking through like why he's not scoring so much. So a historical anomaly is just said right here. Most are having 20 plus TDs also cuts into Tua's ceiling. It does, and I was just gonna say like their play calling. I haven't looked at this, but their play calling in the green zone inside the 10 yard line has to be pretty run heavy. They don't really trust Tua a lot in close and. You kind of understand why, like what he is as a passer and where he's most successful is like between the 20s when there's space and they're getting guys like in motion and out into space. When the field condenses, he doesn't make a lot of great decisions in the red zone. He ends up throwing away passes. They run some fades and stuff. Uh, low percentage passes, fades are, are not high percentage plays at the goal line. And they have a really effective run game. So the fact that Mostert has 20-plus TDs and, and Dr. Evil saying he eats up the green zone touches, he's going to. Like, or if it's right. not him next year, some other running back's going to. This is built off the Kyle Shanahan offense. They run the ball effectively. They have the run schemes. They're going to run the ball inside the 10. And so Tua's not going to get those short passing TDs. He doesn't have the QB skill set necessarily to get them. And they do have the run game to get them. So like, they're not going to change that. I mean, that's not something – and you need the TD rate ceiling potential if you're a 55-yard, zero-rush TD kind of quarterback. If you're that pocket of a pocket passer, I think I'm going to be out on Tua next year, man. I think he's going to be overvalued. Yeah, I I, I, I think you've uh, you've sort of talked me in, into that as well, es especially when you factor in the concussions haven't gone away. Right. There's still a lot of risk. Tyreek goes down. Yeah. What if, what if he tears his ACL? I mean, there's a lot of right. risk. Like, right. And, and there's like, you have Waddle, you like Waddle, but there's not a ton behind the meter. Yeah. Yeah. There's not. I mean, it's a very concentrated offense. They've shown every time they've had guys go out in games, they've really struggled. They struggled when Tyreek went out the week before last. I think McDaniel does a good job of game planning when he knows a guy's not going to be in. But right. when he has to like contingency, like adjust in game, he doesn't do as well. The game that Achan went out, they like gave Mostert a ton of work, and and he had his like highest snap share of the of the year, and they barely beat I can't remember who it is, bad team by seven points, because they uh, were just like calling the same run plays to Mostert. It's like that was part of their game plan, but the Achan stuff right. was out of the game plan, and they didn't have anything else. Like he doesn't like adjust on the fly well, which like because they're so concentrated. Like they have just a few guys. Think about it right. on like a big picture perspective. They've stayed pretty healthy, but if they got hit with big injuries this year, I mean, they haven't stayed incredibly healthy. A-chance missed a lot of time. Tyreek just missed a game. But, I mean, if, if Waddle would have missed the whole year and then Tyreek goes out, like, what? Who, then what happens, right? Like, they're screwed. Right, right. yeah, yeah. Uh, there, there, there's, like, that's a big risk factor. That is, is a bigger risk factor for that offense than, like, another offense. For sure. Um, okay, I um, I told you that I, I thought for sure we would keep inside uh, 90 minutes. So I uh, I want to move on here to uh, to running back. And so um, 
feels like every year we're having a new a new discussion on what does it mean to be like a, a dead zone running back and um and, and and how do you approach that for fantasy and and so this year i think this year is, has been really interesting in that like a lot of the, the running backs with sort of like dead zone like adjacent profiles have have sort of risen to the top of um of the the, the usage the usage met metrics um and, and and rashad white being like the top basically as a percentage of team snaps rashad, uh, over the last four games rashad, rashad white is the top running back um and and i guess i i was looking at some of his, his fantasy expected points models and like he is he, he has points over expected and um, but then when you look at uh, like next gen stats he's um he he, he ha that, that has them as, as as not being efficient and and that's sort of interesting because i know like rashad white is somebody who, who's like sack likes and he's like well if the market is going to hate them and he's literally a starting running back um like you just take them it is is do you think the the uh the market will like accept do you think and uh, this sort of like i well it, it's it all depends on price are, are, are you gonna have to pay like a fifth round like would you pay a fifth round price for rashad white get, given the the data that we have here for next year yeah um do you think he goes in I was thinking maybe he'd be going even a little higher than that. I, I, the data here is great, but it, yeah, it, it, it's also when you think about it year over year, it's reflective of the fact that he's been successful because of role. And typically, with running backs, a pretty good heuristic is to be fading when the player is successful because of role. Like they right. have to also be good. Now, Rashad White has been really good in the passing game this year, he's been really efficient. He's caught a bunch of passes, uh, like a really high percentage of his passes, over 90%. His yards per target is incredible. Um, but I do think that's tough to expect to, to continue year over year, even though he had a really high catch rate as a rookie as well. The rushing stuff is still – like it's been better over the last right. several weeks, but it's still like – it's not amazing. It's not – It's not. I mean, it's not even great. It's not – it's It's, it's fine. Okay. Yeah, that's fine. He's had a couple he's had a couple games over, you know, four yards per carry, which earlier in the year he wasn't even hitting that with right. regularity, right? And so he's done that now, I guess, for four weeks in a row. He had one game where he went, you know, 15 carries for 100 yards. That was a big game. But other than that, the whole season he's not had another game where he's gone over 4.5 yards in a game. I mean, it's not like and, – and so for the year he's at 3.8. Like he's had a lot of a lot of poor outcomes as well that have brought that average down. I, I'm concerned about him as a long-term runner. Right. I'm concerned about uh, – I, I do think he's a good receiving back. I'm concerned about the fact that the Bucks didn't have any depth behind him all year. <laughs> they ended right. up cutting Keyshawn Vaughn. You know, Chase Edmonds was hurt. And then I, I was saying when Chase Edmonds came back, I thought Chase Edmonds might have a, a, an opportunity to really carve out a role. But that was right about the time Rashad White really started to hit, right? The first game Edmonds came back, was one of Rashad White's best games of the year, and he's been really good since. But I do think the Bucks are a really good bet to add to the running back position this year. I think they tried yeah, to this offseason. Yeah, they tried to cheaply this offseason with Edmonds and free agency and with Sean Tucker on uh, as a UDFA. 
they have a lot of holes. They're going to go other places, but they are going to bring in more running back bodies, and eventually they're going to hit on someone that's going to turn this huge usage number like down right. a lot for Rashad White, and that becomes a problem. Like Christian McCaffrey's not at risk of losing that. Kyron right. could do that. I I think the Rams have the exact same thing. Like they thought Cam Akers was going to be one of their one twos, but they had a bunch of like personality issues again. They end up just shipping him out. They've had no one else. They're going to add. They're going to add a right. Run, whether it's free agency or or in the draft, they're going to add. They like Kyron, and Kyron's going to be the lead going into next year, but there's going to be a legitimate number two, I would guess, by week one of 2024. And so I, some of those types of guys, when I look at this, and I think for next year, I don't want to overvalue their usage. Now, Kyron has been – a lot better than I thought he would be. Like he's actually been really efficient. So he, it's right. a little he's played better. well. Yeah, he's um, a different from that perspective. And 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 just like I was looking at um his uh, Kyron's ADP in a uh, playoff best ball, and obviously Rams aren't are not highly drafted, but Kyron actually goes before Cooper Cup in playoff best ball, and if that's like any indication, like to me that's sort of signaling that. If if it never too early dropped today, he'd be going in the second or third round, which feels it, like extremely early. Um, e- e- even given you given what you said that like they like Kyron, Kyron has been good, but it, it doesn't make any sense for the Rams to go to roll into twenty twenty four and say okay, Kyron is who is 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 our plan at running back and 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 that's it. We're not like we're not going to split them. We're not going to bring anybody in, like. It, it doesn't make any sense for for the Rams to say like yes, Kyron Williams is going to play on the field every snap for uh, like the the rest of the season it, for for twenty twenty four I should say. Yeah, I don't think. I mean, they like him, and McVay has been willing to really lean into one guy, and they've definitely done that with him. He also got hurt. He's a small back. That was one of the concerns, right? He's undersized. Right. And he got hurt and had to go on IR for a period of time. He did come back and, and is very effective. But I've seen people talk about him like really favorably in Dynasty. And, and that's one of the things I've talked about a little bit in Ceiling Signals is I don't have a ton of Dynasty takes. He's one where I'd be like, if I had him and people are treating him because he's young as well as like a top five Dynasty running back, like I would sell very quickly because he's not – I mean, I've been wrong on him from the beginning, but he's still not an elite athlete. He's still not a guy that transcends the situation. This is still a situational thing. Like He's gotten a ton of usage in in an offense that has historically been really good for running back scoring. McVay loves to use running backs in the green zone. Since Kyron came back from injury, he has at least four green zone touches, uh, three of his four games, which no one else in the league has that. Four green zone touches in a game is a ton – I know this week there was one player who had five and then four was tied for second most in the league for this week. Most weeks it is, you know, like if you have four greens, you're one of the top two or three running backs in, in the league that week. He's done that in three of the four games since he came back. Cause every time they get down there, even more so than we were just talking about with the dolphins, they give the ball to their backs. That's something they've done since, you know, Todd Gurley, right. CJ Anderson. They did, they've done what they did with Sony Michelle. They did it with Sony Michelle. Yeah. <laughs> Literally any back. And they use these guys. They really lean on them when they when they have a back that they're riding. They play him at a really high rate. 
that could all be really good. I could totally see Kyron being uh, very successful in 2024 as well, actually. So I, I don't want to say I would completely fade him. I could see the situation being being good for him. But I, I do think at, at uh, you know, first five round cost that I would be very cautious with him because it is very situation dependent. He will probably have more competition. I'm not convinced that like he can hold up to the rigors of an you know a heavy workload for a full season as an undersized back. He didn't show that he could necessarily this year. Um, there's a lot of concerns. I think you know there's concerns right. about obviously still Stafford's health and and the and the health of the offense and whether it could collapse, which was a concern going into this year for the Rams. So there's a I mean, but mainly and, and he's not the type of back that is that is like insulated from some of those risks in the way that like a true superstar would be like right. if, if brock purdy goes down tomorrow like it, it might it might change um cmc's projection by like 0. 0.00001 whereas if stafford went down like you, you could kyron's projection by like five like by like a dramatic amount of points just because like you said, he's so situ- he's so like relying on the, that situation and, and the, the team centric stuff. For sure, exactly. Your uh, your internet buddy is like a, a little bit choppy, unless it's mine. <laughs> your internet's a little bit choppy. It, it might be. Um, I <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm I'm I'm, paying, I'm, at, I'm on the, the best package I can get. Um, okay. Um. About the best package I could get, I love that. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I didn't know if there was something you could do to. to I, I uh, see. Um, well, Phil, uh, Phil, who, who's nice enough to who does the um the, the timestamps. He, he said I sound fine, so it is you. Oh, okay, great. Um, um, so, <laughs> so back back to uh, back to running back talk, um. The other one I had sort of marked out here was uh, Pacheco, who's also like sort of like it's, it's sort of interesting, I think, because and any running back for Kansas City is going to be benefited like or, or almost always is benefited tremendously by the role. Um, and Andy Reid always has like these good schemes, like you're playing, playing with Patrick Mahomes, so the offense is good. Um, but then he, he, he like – he does have his like Pacheco is like physically very gifted, and uh, he just has like the uh, I don't know the quirkiness of like uh, uh, of his own running style that may not be optimal. Um, I sort of like to me I, my my, my uh, the way I always look at the, the Chiefs is that whoever whatever running back they choose to use at the most is like. They're, they're like a kingmaker. Like they, it's every year they bring like some random running back. Like last year it was McKinnon. Like before it's it's been it's been just random running backs. I guess this year it's Pacheco, um, and and they and they um they turn them into fantasy stars. But I've never wanted to, to pay for the most expensive uh, Kansas City back because just because it's Pacheco this year does not mean it's Pacheco next year. Um, that's not a question. Uh, um, how, are, how are you looking at uh, Pacheco going into next year? Oh. Uh, okay, so uh, <laughs> Gretsch, um, is, um, Gretsch, Gretsch will be back in a second. Um, so, oh, oh, I need Adam. <laughs> 
I, so yeah, I, I actually went on a long monologue and I didn't even notice that you were gone. No, I, I so heard like, it. I don't know how to vamp, but somehow I did while uh, while you're getting that figured out. Yeah, I'm still uh, I'm still hearing you as as choppy, which is weird because everyone in the chat saying that they they are not, but uh, must be something on my end. But no, I I, I did I did hear what you were chatting about. I was like, hey, I'm back here. The, the <laughs> Um, so, uh, yeah, I, 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 um, I guess I, I sort of like had the point that, uh, I, I'm never paying expensive prices for juice packs. Like, well, not never, but usually not paying expensive prices. And like, I always want the cheap exposure of, of, of somebody who they could uh, be the kingmaker for. Uh, how, how, I guess, how, how, how are you looking at Pacheco uh, next year? I think same same line of thinking as Rashad White and Kyron, and like all the things that you were saying as well. I think he fits right in to that discussion um, for the reasons that you were saying. I, I do think that the Chiefs are going to be rotational. Uh, I think – I mean, this week we saw the Chiefs look pretty good on offense, frankly. Right. Just going back to Jarek McKinnon and, and Clyde Edwards-Alaire, I mean, their main issues were, you know, wide receiver drops again. But um, otherwise, like, the running back position was fine. Just dropping in not very good players, frankly. CEH is is done now, right? The the rookie contract's finally, finally over. They're not going to re-sign him, I wouldn't suspect. And so... Unless he wants to play for that minimum, or and even then, maybe not. Which, yeah, they might, you know, they might uh, bring it back for really cheap. But I would, I would suspect there's another team, and, and a lot of teams are are always adding depth at running back. But I would suspect this is another team, especially with Jarek McKinnon at his age as well, that is going to be looking to add another potential impact right player at the running back position. Uh, certainly, they've done it cheaply. They, you know, since CEH, they 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 brought in uh, McKinnon cheaply. They got Pacheco in the seventh round. They went and got Deneric Prince cheaply. They're trying to not make the same mistake they made with CEH again. And so it may not be anyone super notable, but um, yeah, I don't think Pacheco is like a special player, right? I mean, I, I don't think there are a right. ton of special running backs. And yeah, he's another one where. I look at the the usage and him being this high on this chart, and I see it as a red flag for for next season. Right, and I mean, when you're talking about never too early drafts, it's it's before the draft, and so you have to be super vigilant to um, the 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 team taking an early draft pick on a on a running back, and then your guy is just nuked. Um, I I feel like with the Chiefs, there's like, uh, you you have that risk. Obviously, that could happen. But then there's also the case of like somebody they could just bring in somebody who like you're not thinking about right now. They bring him in, and then by the uh, by the middle of next year, he's their starter. Like they regularly do stuff like that. Um. So um. Yeah. I I I <laughs> we I think we both agree on that one. Um. So sort of moving off of the um. Uh, those sort of dead zone back types. Um, 
The other two that I think are interesting are, is like this sort of like dichotomy between Raheem Mostert and um, uh, Devon Chan, where I know in um, playoff baseball, they're sort of priced alongside each other. And then in this chart, their their usage it, it is sort of similar. Um, I, I, I guess I, I would definitely expect a Chan to be considerably a, a good bit, at least two rounds more expensive. Than, uh, than Mostert next year, just get, given the age and all that sort of stuff. Um, ha, I, I guess, how, um, ha, how do you, what do you think is the best way to like, sort of like think about those two? I, it's, a, it's a fantastic question. Raheem Mostert is going to be 32 in April. Right. And but he just won't come touchdowns. He's going to be coming off a 20 touchdown <laughs> season. I mean, he's not going to go in the 15th round again, but if he did go, you know, I mean, even in the double-digit rounds, if he goes, I, I mean, I, he's probably going to be like a 10th-round pick because people are going to assume he's too old. And then, I mean, you probably have to draft him in the 10th round. <laughs> you, have, you, have, you have to draft Mostert in the 10th round. So it's, I mean, maybe maybe he doesn't go in the 10th. Maybe that's optimistic thinking. Um you said at least a round or two higher, I would expect. And when you said that, I was thinking A-Chan's got to go five rounds higher. But I Right. Mean, if that's the way it's, it sounds like you're thinking. I'm thinking uh, A-Chan's going to go in the third round, you know, like or at least. like Right. Because people have seen the ceiling. They, they saw yeah. enough production, and they're going to assume that he's going to, at some point over 2023, overtake Mostert. I, there's no way he's going later than the fifth. I mean, it, it's got it, right? Like, there's got to be a lot of right. about HN going into next year, even though we haven't seen a ton. The sample's not huge. And and what happens the rest of this year and in the playoff run will matter, certainly. But right, super we, impactful. If we get, you know, because we, we have such a small sample on him, but if we get some more production out of him that looks strong, people are going to want to fade Mostert a little bit. They're going to, I mean, they're going to be concerned about age. He might be a 20 TD back that's going in like the eighth round the next year and A-Chan's going in like the third or fourth. And I don't even know what I would want to do at that point. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's so tough. I, I, I do feel like um, um, one of the, the teams of this season has been like, if you're asking the question of which Dolphins back, the answer is yes. Yeah. Like you, yeah. you, you just you just want exposure. Unless um, we got like thirty percent Jeff Wilson, which you know, I <laughs> but you know the crazy thing is, like who, like the answer, like the answer could be Jeff Wilson next year. I know that it, is part of it, and that's why I say third and fourth and eighth. When I think there's a reasonable justification to argue that like they should be second and fifth round picks, like like Aaron Jones right. and AJ Dillon were last season, coming off the 2021 year in the 2022 drafts. Yet Aaron Jones in the second round and AJ Dillon in the fifth. It was like they're going to be the two guys. This offense is so concentrated, so high scoring. We just got done right. talking about how how much they're going to use the running backs in the green zone. The only reason they wouldn't both be top five round picks is it could be a third guy. Like it could be right. someone else fairly, fairly easily, it feels like. I mean, not like super, super easily, but reasonably easily. And so anyway, I mean, I I would think do, do you think those Estimates that I just gave are reasonable. HN third, fourth round, Mostert eighth round. Maybe this yeah, I, I think you are looking somewhere between like like uh, HN is like super variable between what he does between now and the end of the yeah. year. Yeah, uh, so like you want to give like a range 
second to fourth round there. And then Mozart is like another guy where it's 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 really tough. Like my my um what I did I give even give a round? I I think um my t- sort of thought was uh I guess fifth fifth sounds like like a, a normal place for him to go. I guess I, I just wonder because I know he, he has this career of being injury prone and, and we haven't seen it this year. Um, I, I do. I, I, I think I'm stuttering because it's, it's so tough to think about um, where he should go. Like I, I, I think fifth is it. it it's fine. It, We've it, never had anything like this. I mean, right. like I, there's no comp. No. Because um, he has been injury prone. I mean, and I mean, he wasn't. He came out of nowhere late in his career. He's a late career. I mean, the right. best hop is probably Priest Holmes. Like, go all the way back to this like mythical character in, in <laughs> fantasy. We don't fantasy have any players, other right? dog, uh, draft data for that guy. We don't. But uh, for a <laughs> lot of people who you know were around when fantasy football was sort of coming of age in the early OOs, like Priest Holmes is this mythical guy. He was the first, you know, legit superstar for a few years. I mean, Marshall Falk was before him, but people weren't necessarily playing when Marshall Falk was this star. Anyway, he didn't really break through until I'm looking at it now. It's age 28 season. He has a 2000 yard from scrimmage season. The year prior, he had 800 yards, age 29, 2224 TDs, age 30, 2,127 TDs. I mean, that's when he had this three-year stretch at you know at the back end of his 20s and going into age 30, and he was a superstar. And but back then, no one cared about running back age as much. So like, you just drafted right. him in the first round. Like he was a first-round pick every year. People care a lot more these days about the running back age. He's not gonna. I mean, most of it's not gonna go as high as 20 touchdowns. And he's going to finish with 25 touchdowns. I mean, like, <laughs> right. it's going to be mind-blowing, like, trying to figure out where this guy should go next year. It's crazy. And then um, w- w- the thing about his age is, is, as well, he's still, like, he's got the ninth fastest uh, running ball uh, carrier speed right. at 21.62 miles an hour. One of the reasons I, I bring up Holmes as a comp is he didn't really do much until he was 28. And there's this – like it's been kind of debunked this idea of like less tread on the tires and everything. But I do very much believe that you just can't be a high volume runner for 10 years in the NFL. So if you haven't (laughs) been one, if you haven't been one until later in your career, then okay, you'll just do it, you know, for a few years later, it's easier to be a running back at 32 if you haven't been doing it for 10 years, right. As a high volume guy, it's just, I mean, being being a, a high volume running back, uh, in the NFL, it has to impact your health. Like, yeah, I mean, like the I, biggest... I just don't believe that it doesn't. And so, yeah. n- then the absence of that has to matter also. The the biggest like correlation to injury is just like touches, right? Like, I mean, it's like how many times do you get tackled right. by these huge defensive players? And I mean, over a career, like obviously, it's not going to be right. like one one for one. And there are people that have shown that, like the. But there, there, I think there's good data that shows that at a certain yeah, yeah, I, I, number of touches, like yeah. you run out of steam. And that's the big reason no one does it until they're 30 because the really good backs hit these cumulative numbers before they're 30, 30 plus. If you don't start 
getting big volume until as late right. as Raheem Mostert. That's the Priest Holmes thing for me. But then Priest Holmes did wind up getting hurt the next year after that, and his career ended pretty quickly after that three-year run where he was scoring 20 touchdowns every year. So so Mostert, I guess the question would be then, where where are you interested in taking uh, Mostert? I know. <laughs> I, I, he's, the, he's the kind of guy that – when I acknowledge that there is a ceiling that could bury me if I full faded, but I also acknowledge that there's extreme risk that I right. want to be typically not even, even with the field slightly under, but I do want exposure, right? Like, so I want, and it's almost like price agnostic. It's not going to be entirely price agnostic. Cause when this kind of guy is like 12th round or later, you can actually get well above the field on him. And I actually right. was on most of this year, which has been, you know, fantastic, but when they get into the single-digit rounds, you have to get exposure when they have this type of game-breaking potential. At the same time, I don't want to bury a bunch of teams when I see that there's a ton of risk as well. So it's it's close to even. I tend to, to be slightly underweight on this type of profile where I acknowledge right. there's the real ceiling, but I don't want to be like um, – I don't want to be taking on an extreme amount of risk. I don't want to be banking right. everything on this one pick, you know? Yeah, I was sort of thinking that um, somewhere you around the seven rounds is yeah. uh, is where, you know, like I'll take on that risk. No problem. You and also build, you build differently with him, right? Like he's a great first running back in a zero RB build if he's going in the seventh right. round. Because you're already making this bet that like he's got to stay healthy and it's it's a low right. probability bet. But if he does, you're getting like potentially second round running back production in the seventh round with this firepower in the first right. six rounds. I mean, that, I I don't know that I would want him as much in a build where I went double anchor running back in in the seventh right. round. It doesn't make as much sense, right? Right. And then somebody like Mostert can also he can bridge you to uh, like. Just throwing an example out, Ty Chandler. You're you're getting very little from Ty Chandler all year, and he, he's not helping you get to the playoffs. But maybe somewhere like Mostert does, and then is not as impactful in the playoffs. But he yeah. helped you get Ty Chandler there. Yeah. I mean, um, it's so a zero RB. It's it's the like Frankenstein running back build type of player. And, and honestly, like the more we talk about it, the more I think he's going to be a fifth round pick. He's not going to. <laughs> yeah, I, I I think you're right. I think you're but right. But I still will take him as my first running back in the fifth round on some teams if he's going in the fifth round. Like I'll be underweight, but I'll do I'll do zero RBs and take him in the fifth. And then right. Um, the other one that I I, I keep seeing uh, buzz or, or comments about is uh, is Chase Brown. Where people are like, you know, this guy's going to be a six-round pick next year, seven-round pick. Wow. Because of a couple, like, you know, he got clocked at 21 miles an hour, and now we're, we're ready to call him a six-round pick? Well, it, it's uh, – I should say that the, 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 the tweets about it are like, it's going to be the morons that take this guy. Oh. In, in, um, now, now – it's. I think it's definitely. It's. He's a very like buzzy player. People are really excited about uh, Chase Brown and like the potential that. Um. Well, you know. Um. What's his name? Mixon is like. He, 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 he's not long for uh, for the NFL. 
and they're going to need somebody like Chase Brown. And, and like you're saying, he, he runs fast. Um, yeah, I mean, I think he's he's a, a favorite of Zero RB bros, all of us, you know, that, that draft these types of teams and, and are looking for the rookies and the upside plays and, and those types of things. And then the film watchers saw him over the last few weeks and also are in love with him. And you get those, you get those perfect storms sometime where like, he's a buzzy player. Yeah. Like if you saw him play the last couple of weeks, you love him. Like even last right. week, not, not just the screen pass that he took to the house two weeks ago, last week, he's getting early usage in that game and he's hitting spin moves on the sideline to pick up extra yardage and like spinning with burst where he's one of those spin moves where he's moving forward as he does it. And you're like, this guy's got juice. I mean, I compared right. him in stealing signals this week, the current setup to late Melvin Gordon's career in LA where, you know, Melvin Gordon and Joe Mixon and then Chase Brown is the Austin Eckler right now. He feels like that. He feels like the play off the long time starting running back who really isn't that explosive, but is like good enough. And then he gets out there and you're like, whoa, this dude has juice, right? And like that doesn't mean he's yeah. going to go on to be what Austin Eckler has been. But when I watch him touch the ball, I'm like, I stop what I'm doing and I'm like, I want to see what where this goes. Because like, and that's what early Austin Eckler was like. I mean, this dude would just make so many explosive plays. That's what it reminds me of. And anyone who's watching the games, film grinders are feeling the same way. So everybody loves Chase Brown for sure. My question is, if they do cut Mixon, which I, I do think they will, they, they have a, a little bit of dead money there. I think it's like two and a half dead. Saves them some cap. There's some legal stuff that might hit on Mixon. I think they restructured. There was talk they were going to cut him in August, right? And they decided that they would restructure. He took a pay cut. That restructure does keep some guaranteed money for him in the next offseason. But I think the Bengals were basically like, we're either cutting you now or we restructure in a way that's like, you know, in good faith, yeah, there's guaranteed money next year. Like, we might not cut you next year. But I, I think they were always sort of thinking we're going to cut you after 2023. We'll see. I might be wrong on that. If they do cut Mixon, and that's what everyone who's saying Chase Brown's going to be in the sixth round is thinking, my question is, are they really that confident in Chase Brown after a few highlight plays late in the year that they're not going to be – yet another team that's going to be in the market to add running backs. Like this is right. one of the biggest lessons, uh, you know, for early drafting to learn. And I mean, it's like er when you draft early draft zero RB, right. When you, when, when you're uh, playing dynasty, like make your running back trades in the early off season, go reacquire them before the start of the, the actual season, right? Like don't carry a running back through an off season, running backs lose projected volume, over off seasons. It's just what happens in the NFL. Chase Brown looks exciting as hell. I think they're going to plan to have a role for him going into 2024. I don't think a team that has serious Super Bowl aspirations and is going to be bringing Joe Burrow back coming off a down year is, is going to cut Joe Mixon and not add to running back and say, Chase Brown, you're going to be our running back. Like that, That's not what I think they will do in the offseason. Right. Yeah, no way. I think the signs are sort of there that they uh, that they like Chase Brown. And uh, one of the things I, I sort of pointed out last week was that I I feel like with some of these sort of like young electric running backs that they uh, they come on the field for six snaps a game and they have five touches and they look amazing. And uh, 
Chase Brown, he's actually getting like he's getting routes, he's getting blocking assignments and stuff like that. So to me, that is some indication that they actually like uh, trust him to be like a part of the offense when he's not just getting the ball. So that that's like a a, a small sort of like. Uh, oh, they definitely like him. They right. they immediately propelled him over Travion Williams once they got him healthy as well, which I thought was awesome. And I, I've been saying until the signals for like a few weeks now, like he's the best stash you can have. It's it's and they started using him early. He got the first touches this past week against the Vikings early in the game. It ended up being like a sixty nine to nineteen percent snap share. Like right. app. I mean, it was huge, but they were using they were using Brown early and part and Mixon didn't have much production until the fourth quarter, and then the game goes to OT, and he plays a lot in OT. He kind of got involved late. But um, through the first three quarters, it was like they wanted to get chased. Like, they definitely really like this dude. Uh, I, I mean, another one. Like uh, still, still I, I agree with you in that, like, your best price for him is, like, somewhere between the 10th round and the 15th round. Like, we have a lot of offseason news to go. Um, but you're, but you're a lot like as a, pure, a lot like age, another one where the rest of this year is going to make it. I mean, there's only a few weeks left, but it, they might make the playoffs. But even just these next three weeks is going to make a big difference on what we think about Chase Brown. It's going right. to make a huge difference if he continues to stay behind Mixon, or if he actually like, like, what if he leapfrogs Mixon? If, if he flips him, yeah, then, then, then you are talking. Like yeah, you're talking eight round, like, like at least. Yeah, it changes things. So this is like, we're these last couple of weeks on him are very important for sure. Yeah, I, I agree. He's shown enough to be to be really exciting, you know, to, to be excited. I get why people are talking about you know sixth round. That's an exaggeration, but I I understand the optimism. Right, um, and so I'm just gonna skip through all these uh these running back <laughs> charts. Because we talked about running back. We, we hit running back. <laughs> um, and so, and, and moving on to uh, to tight end. And I think tight end is, to me, is by far the most interesting transition for any of the positions this year. And for tight end, in, in, in as long as I can remember, where Travis Kelsey, it, it's always been Travis Kelsey and, and then the rest. Whereas th- this year... Travis Kelsey's been like a lock, like he's been in line with his sort of like normal production. Like if you look at it, like five, six years. Um, but he's like, how do I say? It? He's another year older. Like I, I think he was. He's four in PPR. He's four points less per game than last year. He's one point less than twenty twenty one. Um, and then you also. Like I remember when we drafted um, the stat chasing main event team, one of the points was yes he's old, but he doesn't have a ton of injuries. Whereas this year he had a ton of injuries, and soft tissue injuries, and and those annoying ones. Um, and and so, I I think that is like the 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 biggest question that people will have to answer every draft, is is should Travis Kelsey still be the tight end one? And it's like, is, is he a, a, ahead of his peers by enough still that you uh, they should be taking him in the first round? So here's the the counter 
I don't think he'll go in the first round. Right. Who's the tight end one if it's not Travis Kelsey? Right. That's the question every year. And but and it's no, but it's, it's, it's very different this year because what you just said is very true. We have a very transitional year. I've seen a lot of Sam Laporta. I think that's a very fair argument. I think the correct answer is Trey McBride. I think I was Trey about to McBride say the should be the tight end one next year. He has been fucking amazing in the last month plus. Yeah. Uh, Sam Laporta has been also amazing. Laporta, if you look at their numbers, McBride's running him down on catches and yards. And that's despite basically doing nothing for the first like month or month plus. Right. Laporta has the big gap on TDs. Uh, Laporta's at nine touchdowns. McBride has two. But right now, McBride is like, what is it, 46 yards behind him, five catches behind him. The way that McBride has been catching up with his late production. You look at this targets per out run number, 27% for him. I've been comparing him to Kelsey for a while in stealing signals because of how he's the, become the focal point of this passing game so clearly. And one of the notes I had this week was because uh, he got banged up with the shoulder. He wasn't on the field in a key like green zone play. And the announcer, the color commentator, is literally going, they don't have Trey McBride on the field, like pre-snap. And it's like you get that comment when Jamar Chase isn't on the field. You get that comment when Justin Jefferson's not on the field. These are the guys that are watching the old game tape. The, the announcers, you know, they're watching games to, to prepare for their for their um, assignments. And that guy is – I can't remember who it was, but he's clearly like that's their playmaker. That's their go-to right. guy right now. Trey McBride is their offense. I've been call, comparing him to Kelsey. I've seen Adam Levitan on Twitter a couple of times this week compare him to Gronkowski, which is a better comp for the way that he plays. He's so big and athletic and physical. It's Rob Gronkowski. Like, that's that's it. Like, it, it was a light bulb for me to see him. He was calling him Trey Gronkowski, and I'm like, I love this. This is incredible. Like, in, uh, in, the, in the last five games he, in, in PPR, he's 17.3 uh, points per game. Like, that that is that's the the uh, the tight end the elite tight end number or sorry it's, I'm not saying that that it's exactly the threshold but that's the type of number that yes. that justifies like the early early uh, draft pick at tight end. And Kelsey, I, I agree with you. Kelsey this year is a tight end one in points per game at 16.0. I mean last year he was over 18. You said he's fallen, right? But. 17.3 is a is a full point per game plus better than than any tight end this season. That's in just the last split, obviously. And right. you know, splits data can be misleading. But McBride has been he's been that good. He's been that good that I think he's got to be up there. Whether it's him, Laporta, Kelsey's gonna I, I do think we are in that transition period to your point. Hawkinson has to be in the discussion, right? Andrews still has yeah. to be in the discussion. Yeah. There's a good five tight ends there, and we haven't even said Kittle. We haven't said Darren Waller, who, I mean, you know, was rising into the second round in tight end premium this offseason. But he's not going to go that high next offseason, but is somebody else to consider. Kincaid has been successful. There are other, you know, there's other players in this rookie class. People love Musgrave or, you know, whoever wins out. Jake Ferguson is probably the top of the uh, the rest of the rookies. Ferguson, I like Kraft more than Musgrave, but like both of those dudes, 
Dallas Goddard is still around. Kyle Pitts is still around. Cole Komet, I think, is good, especially if it's no longer a Justin Fields offense, which it very well may not be. I think Cole Komet's right. been successful enough that he'd be a really interesting, like, tight end 9, tight end 10. Like, he might be one of the most interesting dudes if that offense does take a shift. There's so many interesting uh, – Evan Ingram is still – you know, I mean, like, there are so right. – I didn't say David Njoku yet. Like, it, it is a transition period. Like, and Njoku's been incredible this year. I, he, he's played really well. There's a lot Look, of I, really, really interesting tight ends going into 2024. It's I, – I, my, my talk going into this uh, podcast was that, like, you, you don't quite have the ceiling of, like, the Travis Kelsey – but you know, with Trey McBride, maybe we do. But the thing about it is, is like we've got more depth at strong tight end options than like I can I can remember. Yep. But like there are so many really strong. Well, tight and, ends. and what's funny is, and this happens every year, we talk about a lot of tight ends, and then there are people that say every year we talk about a lot of tight ends and say it's deep, and then it's not actually deep. The reality is tight end is a position that has a high bust rate. It has a higher injury rate than wide receiver for whatever reason. It's closer to running back and injury rate. It's also a difficult position to play. It's also a usage position where you get the situations like Kyle Pitts where like he's just not being used particularly well. You get guys that get held into block too much. There are elements that lead to less statistical production. Like, wide receivers don't have to deal with that. They run routes on every pass play. Running backs get handoffs on every run play. Like, it's Tight ends also have an offensive lineman element to their job. Right. Like it's just one of those things. So there is that stuff, but I still completely agree with you. Twenty, It's different. Like, this right. is a year where it's we, not have the same real, we have re- real legit – Like, and I've said this before, I think going into last season, 2022 – that we were deep with interesting profiles. And this is sort of the manifestation of that a couple of years later where some of those profiles have hit, the Hawkinsons and stuff have hit. But we're now in a situation, the Comets have, you know, they, he looks good. You're, we're now in a situation where, like, it's not that it's deep. It's not going to be deep into the double digits. It's going to be deep from tight end one to tight end ten. Like, the, the right. really good profiles are strong. And, and there right. is no clear number one because Kelsey's come back. But there's going to be 10 really good tight end. I think like two elite tight end might be a really interesting. When I say elite, I mean first 10 tight ends. So it could be right. tight end seven, tight end nine. You know, something like that could be a really interesting profile. My really good best ball teams are the ones that have Laporta and McBride. You know, if you get two right. guys scoring every week at those levels, it's huge. I mean, or Njoku and McBride or, you know, whatever combination. Right. But, those are cheaper. These guys are going to be more expensive next year, but there's going to be 10 or so good ones, and maybe grabbing two of those, maybe on the cheaper end, it's going to be interesting with this yeah. position. I, 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 I think um, I've always liked taking two strong tight ends, and if the price if the, if the prices stay in check, and they might just because people can't stay fixated on all 10 of them, and I, I, I think I, I agree that could be a, a really interesting strategy. And, yeah, and it's going to be super interesting on FFPC as well with the extra flexes and the tight end premium. Like yeah. that's going to be a really fun way to play. Three tight ends. <laughs> Drake, are you ready to? You ready to? Uh, Triple the tight end. I'm I'm in, man. Let's fire up <laughs> some uh, co-managed early best ball drafts. Me and you will do some three tight end builds in the first like five rounds. I'm like I'm here I'm for in. that. These guys are. Uh, in the chat, Ray and Phil 
are talking about Michael Mayer. I mean, again, I think Michael Mayer has looked great, especially like we'll see what he does these next couple weeks. But um, he's another one you got to throw in. Like going into right. your, he's had a more traditional rookie tight end season. We know that rookie tight ends don't typically crush. But year two would be the year that you'd expect a guy who looked good as a rookie to break out. He has been efficient. Austin Hooper's probably not going to be a problem next year. It would not surprise me if Michael Mayer is a really good tight end next year as well. Yeah, and he's totally like the breakout profile that you like. You target like and 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 you because uh, the odds are in your favor for if that hits, it's going to hit in such a big way. Pat Fryermuth, I think that guy's good. He's been banged <laughs> up this year. Their offense has sucked, but like I think he could be tight end twelve by ADP, tight end like 13, 14. Right, that's nuts. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, he's going to be 13, 14. He's not going to be any higher than that. I mean, these guys are going right. to be about – Mayer's going to be tight end 15. <laughs> right. He'll be your fallback plan. <laughs> right. Yeah, I remember he, he, he was going in like the, the 19th round in FFPC. I know he's going super late on underdog. He's, he's probably going a little bit earlier than that, but re- really yeah, not much. Um. So, yeah. I think we we uh, we hit tight ends. I'm not going to subjugate you to uh, the uh, the backup tight end chart. A torture device uh, devised by uh, Sam Sherman. <laughs> um, and so um, on to wide receiver. And so I I think the biggest uh, the biggest question and and the biggest thing to, to sort of grapple with every year at, at receiver is. How do you play the sort of like the young guys who played sort of well this year or, or like the rookies who played sort of well, but then they're obviously going to be more expensive next year. Um, for example, uh, Nico Collins, well, he, he's not a uh, – Rasheed Rice, he's probably the, the most interesting one to look at where he's gone. He, he, he's the one, the one rookie where uh, – well, at least I think where – He's like played legitimately really well every time he's gotten the field, but his snaps were low, and but and and then as his snaps has, has, have increased, he's continued to play really really well, and then you can sort of like you can almost project okay ninety five percent route share Rasheed Rice the rest of the year, like that that that's so valuable that it's hard to price in in in, in the context of where he went in this draft season. Like to me, like. I, I'm I, I, and this maybe this is a bold set, but I feel like he should be like third or fourth round for Rasheed Rice. I don't think that's bold. I mean, it's bold, but I don't think it's crazy. Um, it's it's rational. It's reasoned. But you just it's mentioned a gut that, punch. Yeah, you just mentioned that he should be projected to go like ninety five percent routes the rest of the year. This past week, he was at 93%. He was at 82% the week prior. Prior to week 14, he had not hit 70%, right? Like, it's been this long, slow buildup. He was at – he got to 50% in week three. And then by week seven, he got to 67%. But then he hovered in that range all the way until week 13. He never broke 70% until week 14. Just these last two weeks, they finally – my point being – we haven't seen Rasheed Rice in the full role as long as it feels like we have because we've been talking about it so much. We've been talking about how it's progressing and it's going to come. Right. It's going to happen. It finally has happened these last couple of weeks, and he's crushed. 
if he continues to crush another guy where the rest of the season and the playoffs, another playoff team, right. we're going to get like six more games out of him, right? We're going to get the rest right. of this year, plus we're going to get a, a few playoff games, most likely, assuming that Kansas City wins a couple playoff games. And we're going to see, does this 90-plus percent snapshot continue? I agree with you. It, it probably will. I would assume it will. We also know this is a great example of a team that's going to add receivers. There is no question. This is the fatal flaw of the 2023 Kansas City Chiefs. It may not even be fatal because, like, Patrick Mahomes might be that good. But it is the biggest issue. People are talking about it like it's the one reason that like, – like our buddy Davis Maddock was tweeting the other day, like, I, you know, the Chiefs have given me – he sent this tweet that was like, the Chiefs have given me the best moments of – some of the best moments of my life. The 2023 season is what it is. Like he's like giving <laughs> up on this year, and you have to just accept that like this team is flawed. And specifically when, when you see that sentiment from Chiefs fans, it's about the wide receivers. There is zero chance that they don't address that, right? And so do you, think, uh, do you think the dot introduce an element of risk that if the Chiefs bring in at receivers – that they say, okay, I uh, receive rice. You 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 were uh, you were an upgrade over Justin Watson or um, MVS, but now that we have the guys that who we want in here, you're going back to the seventy percent share. You're just a slot guy, and, and like, I don't think. Th- well, I mean, yeah, I do think that's a risk in the sense that they've done that with everyone, like. His 93% share this last week was the first Kansas City wide receiver of the year to break 90% routes, which is not – that's that's probably the only team that took right. that long. I mean, most teams have a receiver at 90% plus routes yeah. every week, every single week, at least one, probably multiple. Uh, his, his 82% last week was the second highest number for any wide receiver of the entire year. Marcus Valdez-Scantling in week two had like an 87%. I'm looking at it right now. Most of these guys aren't going over 80% most weeks because they do the rotational stuff. They do packages. That's how they were last year, too. I think that's how they want to be. And so, I mean, it's possible he he moves back because they just become rotational. My concern, because that wouldn't be a major concern for me, because even when he's at 70%, he's been getting like 30% of the routes he's drawn a target. Right. On, right? He's, he's getting so much volume. My concern would be they bring in – you know, like the, the dream scenario was T. Higgins becomes a free agent and they go get him. Because Travis uh, – yeah. sorry, Patrick Mahomes needs a T. Higgins type wide receiver, obviously, right? If they go get someone like that and he is, uh, you know, a smash, right? And they've paid – like they went and paid for Marcus Valdez-Scantling. They thought they were getting something. And they've played him way more than he deserved to be played because they paid him, right? So if they go pay somebody and they bring in a free agent wide receiver and then – I mean, like, that guy's probably the one, right? He's probably the second-round pick or the third-round pick. And then Rice, I'd hope to get in the fifth round or something. You know, I Right, right. You hope that if they bring somebody in like that, then the price that you're getting on, on Rice m- more than reflects, like, the, that, that additional risk. Right. Um, but it's also true, I think, that, like, he's played so well that you, you almost just have to bet, like, He's played well. I I I want I I want to bet on that continuing to happen. Yeah, no, I mean totally. That's go go back to you know Blair Andrews has shown this. The efficiency in year one leads to opportunity in year two. It's also what we see 
in terms of opportunity in year one, right? We see the increase in routes. Right. We see these guys get playing time. That's what we're seeing with Rice throughout this year. That's what we saw, you know, all the examples. A.J. Brown's rookie year, it had to build up. He didn't actually become a full-time player until week nine. From then on, he was the wide receiver two or whatever it is in all of fantasy, right? Like he was a star at the end of his rookie season, but he wasn't even getting used the first half of his rookie season. You have to build up in some of these offenses. The rookies have to show that they can – run block and all of the stuff that they want, you know, all the, cross all the T's, dot all the I's, whatever. Right. And so when you are efficient, it builds up in year one. And then Blair has shown that the efficient players see more volume in year two. And a lot of it is just routes. Pat Corain has shown that the rookie year hits are typically efficiency hits because they don't have the same number of routes, but the right. routes then is what we're seeing increase in year two. I, I'm, I'm with you. I mean, like Rasheed Rice is going to get there in routes next year for sure. It's going to increase. The role's going to be larger. He's going to be one of like I'm. I'm when I talk about like the T Higgins scenario, I'm talking about him being the one B right receiver, and then you have Kelsey, and so it's sort of a complication of like. But his targets on the offense is so good. good. Yeah, then the offense is so good that that it's it's. Makes sense. Makes sense. And so then on the um, on the other side, I I'm with you though. The the right the more more we talk about this and you talk, I mean you the targets per out run like that's a great point. Like he's been so good. He I would take him in the third round today for next year. Yeah, yeah. That, that that's where I am as well. Um. So on on the other side, two um two rookies that um were were more heralded. And, and and have had these big splash games, um, Jordan Addison and Zay Flowers, where like their uh, their targets per run have been in like the high teens, but then they've had like the deep plays, they they've had the high they've had the high routes, mid teens target per run, and um, then they've had games where they've had like the deep shots, and like Jordan Addison just put up a, a crushing game in uh, in fantasy uh, this past week. But it does make me wonder, like, is, is that sort of evidence from their rookie year that, like, while they're better in best ball types, like, that, that can perform those big weeks that maybe we're not seeing that they're, like, becoming – that they're sort of dominant receivers? Or, or is that too early – like, it's it's their rookie year, so too early to sort of, like, say that. That's a really interesting take. I love it. I mean, like, <laughs> I've been trying to – in my head – figure out on Jordan Addison why he wasn't better when Justin Jefferson was out and why I kind of expected him to do really well this week when Justin Jefferson was back and then he did and I was like I mean like it wasn't that surprising like he has succeeded when Jefferson has been on the field especially efficiency wise when he's gotten the single right. coverage right he's hit the big plays and he's been right. really good and he wasn't as good when he like got the double coverage, probably like right. got the more defensive focus. It reminds me a lot of Calvin Ridley's rookie year. Go back to when Julio Jones was the main guy, and Ridley was really good and really efficient. Whenever obviously Julio Jones was on the field with him, and Julio Jones was a superstar at that time. Addison right. reminds me of that. The way that it's went, and then the way that he hasn't necessarily stepped up and answered the bell when Jefferson was out quite as much. And so your take there was, as you were saying it, I was like, you're kind of crystallizing what I've been playing with in my head. 
I don't know, man. I mean, you, Addison's another great example of what I was just saying, where the efficient rookie years usually lead to more volume. It's all right. very positive. But he's going to be with Justin Jefferson again next year, so the volume's not going to be great. I would think of him like the Calvin Ridley in the Julio Jones years, which you still drafted Calvin Ridley very high. I mean, like he's still – right. he's good. But then TJ Hawkinson is very good as well. So, like, I mean, this is – they have three really good pass catchers in Minnesota. It's right. going to be interesting. It's sort of like out. right now he's a really good, strong, deep ball receiver. But you, you, you want him to develop more parts of his game. You want him to and, have to get those intermediate targets. I mean, that's a projection you need to make. And, and how the hell is he going to draw the intermediate targets when he's playing with Justin Jefferson and TJ Hawkinson? That's, that's tough. And, and, and to me, that's like something where it's like, Maybe an example of like, yeah, you, you, you do you do want to lean into uh, sophomore receiver stuff, but it, it does make me feel a little bit price sensitive. Yeah. Like if I'm having to project, I don't want to pay for what I'm projecting. If you're like, have to project. who's the Jahan Dotson of next year? <laughs> I mean, Jahan Dotson was right. similar in his rookie year. Scored right. a lot you're of touchdowns, right. very efficient, very productive. I expect him to take a year uh, step forward. I took a lot of him, really liked him this year. I, I like, laughed there because I was like, I do not want the Jahan Dotson next year. Yeah, no one does. I don't, <laughs> I don't think he's going to be, you know, there, there's always context. Every situation's independent of, of another one. Addison has been really good. And, and like, Dotson's year two is like a 10th percentile outcome. It's, I can't right. explain it. Like, that's not going to happen to Addison. But an underwhelming year two profile that should hit. Like you said, I would I would like to be price sensitive because Addison's a little bit concerning in that regard. Yeah, um, and so it's it's funny. Uh, Zay Flowers, his sort of like his, his target for a run and an A dot and and like production seems to have almost been a little bit similar. I know he started off the off the year he was just getting uh, peppered with with uh, with short targets, but since then his um. His target per right run has like it's it's like trailed off, and when he's got there, it's from like hitting deep shots. And that's another one where it feels like you know like uh, it was a, it was a talent I was excited to draft, but I like when when I'm excited about these as like potentially elite receivers, I do want to see the high target. Maybe I, I harp on it too much, but I do really want somebody who can draw targets at a high rate. For sure, yeah. Sorry, who was the, who was the player you mentioned? I, I, Zay I, Flowers. Zay Flowers. <laughs> I appreciate. Yeah, I, no, I, I, I mean, would have loved if you just kind of went around like talk over me as I missed it. Yeah, sorry. Um, no, yeah. I mean, I he was one that I was concerned about this week, where he only had two targets and he ran up like a hundred percent of the routes. I think his targets per run this week, which weekly targets per run is highly variable, but it was like nine right. percent. Like it was terrible. I mean. I he doesn't strike me as a as a number one like a clear number one. He doesn't strike me as a future star number one receiver. And when we were talking about some of the trends that are worth buying into, so I mean, actually, I just pulled up his targets per run by week. It's a great example of the primacy effect where we we emphasize the first in a series right. of numbers. Zay Flowers came out thirty six percent targets per run in week one. We all remember. Yeah. That. Yeah, he has not been over twenty six percent in any game since. 
He's not been within 10 percentage points of week one in any game since. He's been pretty normal since then. But week one was so massive that we think of him as this guy who was like this dominant target earner. This past week he was at 6%, which is one of his lowest numbers. But he's had multiple games in the teens, a lot of games in the 20s. He's gotten a lot of targets around the line of scrimmage as well. I mean, he really is a guy who week one is carrying a lot of what we think about Zay the Flowers. Projection, yeah. And I don't – so one of the things we were talking about, the macro stuff and the trends and looking forward to early next season, while we're having this whole discussion about never too early drafts, anyone who's still listening an hour and a half into this pod, my They're biggest – They're still listening. I'm shocked as you were. <laughs> my biggest note would be the number one receiver trend. It has been massive this year. I don't know all the reasons for it, but the 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 concentration I wrote about in Stealing Signals a few weeks ago, the concentration of production to the number one in various offenses. I think it goes back to some of the stuff I wrote about last offseason about the RPOs. Michael Pittman's a great example of this where I hypothesized it might happen with him, but I wasn't still on him. Wish I was on him more. I think going forward, that offense with Shane Steichen is clearly going to be an RPO offense. And you have the number one receiver gets a lot of targets off RPOs because the, the the linemen are run blocking and they can't release downfield. Like it's got, it's either a run or it's a pass to the first read. There's no reading it out. Um, I bring this all up because Zay Flowers to me is not that player necessarily in Baltimore, but I will like, I, I think this is where I was wrong on DJ Moore as well. Right? Like some of these, I think the number one receiver thing, when I think the player is really good, I think they we're, we're heading into a new era of number one's consolidating volume. And these are going to be guys that I'm going to want to be on at certain pri- like at certain prices. They're going to be able to consolidate in a way that they couldn't in the last half decade, right. but they could a decade ago. They, they used to be able to consolidate volume like this. Early offseason, I don't think this trend is going to be in the market. I think late offseason it will be. I mean, I'm going to write about it a lot. I'm sure a lot of people will. Again, though, the reason I said this was you brought up Zay Flowers, and he is not that number one to me. He's just not that player. Yeah. Um, and, and you can see in the chart here, Jordan Addison and Zay Flowers, they're in really uh, similar spots. And that's sort of like why we're talking about them uh, in similar yeah. ways. Uh, can I trouble you for uh, just one more player? Yeah, let's go. Um. So another player that uh, I think is interesting to talk about because you, you, uh, when you go into a new season, you also have to figure out how are you going to deal with the players who are getting older. And one a good example of that is sort of Stefan Diggs, where especially in the last couple of weeks, his, uh, his points per game have been pretty low. I think he's, he's in the last couple of weeks, he's like 10 uh, people are points per game. But if you look at his underlying metrics over the full year, they're still sort of like in line with his uh, with his peak career. Like you can see, he's still in the good section of the chart here. He's at like sixty five percent weighted targets per run, and he's still like so he's still like earning the, the sort of targets that you want him to see. But he's entering in his age thirty season, and. I think he had a comment out this week that like, hey, it's it's been tough to see my production go down as like teams double cover me. And then a, a Chiefs defensive back like replied to him, we didn't double cover you. You just oh, suck. That's funny. <laughs> um, I mean, he has a thousand yards already, eight touchdowns. He's having a good year, just not a great year. 
My part of my concern with Diggs is a lot of the off the field stuff. You always get it right. It was an issue. He didn't show up to minicamp this uh, this spring. Remember, and it was like yeah. the first day he was gone, and it was like, what's the problem? And then he was back the next day, and there's always like a drama around him when he was uh, banged up or something, or I, I don't remember when it was, but his brother. Uh, Trevon Diggs, right? Or Trayvon Diggs for yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Dallas? Yeah. Cornerback was, was you know, sending out all those tweets midway through the year about how they weren't good until he came. Josh Allen wasn't good until Diggs came. We don't talk about harder to quantify risks as much as maybe I think we should, but he's a good example of a player where when there's already risk on him being 30 and 31 and some of the other factors, these off-the-field risks – become magnified for me because it does become a a question of the like whether the player is worth it anymore for these teams at a certain point and the second his production starts to fall the bills are going to be done like they're like they aren't going to put up with his antics anymore we saw with antonio brown for example with the steelers as soon as like they were like out and then i mean there's and then even when he went to the bucks and the and brady wanted him so bad he they eventually like he left in the middle of a game obviously he has some other stuff going on for him as well but it becomes a cons- like the the risk how much risk- maintenance do you put up with yeah like you need them to be elite to put up with it right and it becomes a risk magnifier if he starts to struggle then there's increased risk when you already know he's an off the field thing there's there's problems at that point so yeah it's, it's, is a like, guy it's, a cheer, it's a cheer gap thing where like with another player, if his production dipped, like that'd be okay. Okay, I I wanted 18 points per game. I'm getting 14 points per game. Whereas with Diggs, it might be it goes to 14, and then like that's not good enough for the team. And like and you're not even at 14 zero. anymore. Yeah. 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 So for for me, like I've I've loved Diggs his whole career. I've always been in on him. I there's scenarios where I like don't draft Stephon Diggs ever again is sort of like where I'm at with it. Like you start to see this type of, of fall off. It depends on a lot of things. There's also scenarios where I draft plenty of stuff on Dicks, but depends right. on a lot of things. I want to see like what they do going into the off season, how they feel, but I'll be monitoring the way that the bills treat the wide receiver position, what they say about digs, what they're doing. There are scenarios where I'm starting to read a lot of red flags into stuff, and I'm like, I'm just kind of out on this guy. Like, I like they they're done with him. It seems like, and I don't know where he's gonna land. Like, he right. could also land somewhere else, and then I start drafting him somewhere else. Who knows? But uh, he's not. But I don't think I, he's I, done. He's good. He has 90 catches, a thousand yards, and eight touchdowns in 14 games. He's not right. Bad. We're not saying Stefan Diggs bad at football, but. Uh, his pro- so th- this season he was like a first round pick, um, and let's say people give a bit more credence to the age and 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 stuff like that, and he's a second round pick. Like the question I ask myself, like even apart from that off the field stuff, it's like going into this season, would I have paid a second round pick for Keenan Allen? Like given the si- similar like sort of like I know Keenan Allen had to, was coming off the injury and and Diggs isn't injured. But it's like you're talking about an elite producer um, who's getting older. Do I still want to pay like one of the highest prices I can for that? Yeah. And like it's tricky. It, it, it starts it starts to go towards no. With Keenan, at least, you know, this off field stuff like for, for <laughs> I, 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 took, 
Yeah, I took I took Keenan in the third uh, in, in a lot of leagues, and in part because I think Keenan is the kind of guy that can age well in a locker room, right? It's a, there is important elements there, I, I think. Right. Right. Yeah. 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 No, 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 that, that is important. Um, my point, my point was like, I, I sort of feel like Diggs will be a second round pick. And, and as the age, it, it, even setting aside the off field stuff, a second round pick is probably too much. And then you add the amplifier and it's like, Oh, I, 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 right. I get more, more right. nervous because of it. Yeah, for sure. Exactly. Right. Um, okay. Um, is there anybody else that you had wanted to talk about? I, I basically made you talk about a bunch of topics. No, man, this is a blast. It's a blast. Yeah. Yeah. I, I had a lot of fun. I had a lot of fun as well. Um, anybody, anything you wanted to, to touch on, actually not touch on any, anything. I know you, you sort of intro that, uh, this will be the lot you send out the last ceiling signals of the year. Yeah, I'll still be doing the input volatility stuff I do later in the week. But, yeah, this is the last, like, Monday, Tuesday breakdown. So, yeah, man, excited to get into the offseason stuff. This is a lot of fun to start thinking through the 2024 drafts. I'm excited for um, the early offseason, you know, early ADP starts to settle. It's a fun time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It really is a lot of fun. And then um, th- thanks, Ray. And so uh, just as an FYI, this is the second last show of the year. And next season, I've talked to actually have talked to Sack about this. Next week will likely be our, our last show of uh, Sack Chasing. Um, but see everybody uh, next Tuesday.